we have a difficult task this morning. Does anybody know what that is other than that? Eventually, the smell is going to start wafting in. Uh, so my task today is to get us through that, maybe before the smell fully wafts in, but we'll see. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for... We thank you for peace, Lord, just as we sung, peace be still. Lord, we thank you that the peace that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we commit this time, this message to you, Lord, for your glory. Lord, as we dive and dig a little bit deeper into the faith that saves in John, or excuse me, James chapter 2. Lord, may your will be done in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 2. We're finishing chapter 2 this morning, and I need to get there myself. There we are. I have a question today. Are we saved by faith or by works? So we've got about 40 minutes. I'm going to try not to use all 40 minutes. Hopefully we can get this done by noon, before noon. Hold me to it. Somebody stand up, say, I smell it, and then I'll I'll get the cue, okay? But are we saved by faith or by works? In the history of Christianity, this has been a very, very big question. There are actually different denominations in the world today due to this or in part of this question right here. I'm sure we all can think of some denominations out there, some faith traditions out there, where it's more of a works-based religion. Islam comes to my mind immediately. There are scales. And at the end of your life, if this is good and this is evil or bad, if the scale's like this, well, guess what? That's a good thing. However, if you lived your life and the scale is like this, that's a bad thing. Works-based. We can think of uh, denominations and, again, faith traditions that claim Christ, yet are more works-based than faith-based. And we'll get into that a little bit more. The actual Reformation in the 1500s into the 1600s was born out of this question and many other questions as well. But this was a huge question at that time as well. Our faith tradition of Anabaptism partly, partly, comes out of this question as well. So we're not going to answer this question at this very moment. That's what I have 30, 40 minutes to do. And we may never fully get to the answer, but we're going to take a look at some things. But I'm going to ask everybody a favor this morning. In between the wafting of the smell of the food, keep this in the back of your mind as we go through the message, because this slide will pop up again at the very end, And then we'll see, are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? Um, So again, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. I'll go ahead and read it, but you can follow along in your Bible as well, or you can look up at, uh, at the screen. James 2, 14 to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, 
have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? We're going to take a pause right there for a moment. For those of you, does this remind you of anything in Sunday school this morning? Thank you, Nick, for Sunday school. As Nick was going through Sunday school, Mark 5.36, I wrote it down really quick. It wasn't in my notes, but it said, but Jesus ignored them and said to Jairus, what did he say? Don't be afraid, just have faith. Now, what if Jesus had said that to Jairus, yet he didn't go in and heal Jairus' daughter? Does that kind of tie into what we just read there? So Jesus, he gets interrupted by the lady with the hemorrhage. As Nick was going through that, he's on mission to go to Jairus' house to heal Jairus's or to come pray for Jairus' daughter, and he gets sidetracked for a good reason. Then he gets back on task, and he's like, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then he looks at his watch, and he goes, ooh, I got to get on the other side of the lake. And he just leaves. What good is faith? Right? What good is faith? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you do not have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Uh, God. Good for you. Hey, great. You get, a, you get a prize, right? Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And lastly, verse 26, just says the body is dead without faith excuse me, without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So what is it? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? Nobody yell it out. We'll wait. Over the years, since the early church, many people uh, have sensed a struggle uh, between uh, the writings of Paul uh, specifically the book of Romans. And forgive me, I'm opening up my phone because I have something I need to read from it. Okay. Um, they've seen a struggle between the writings of Paul, specifically Romans, and the writings of James. Um, 
they see a toe-to-toe battle between the two of them. So much to the point that I'm going to read a quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther, as we know, was not a big fan of the book of James. There's rumor that spread that Martin Luther asked that it be kind of taken out of the Bible. Okay, I did a lot of research on that, couldn't find that confirmation, but I found his quote where he wrote to remove it from schools. So that as, as people are taught the Bible, that is removed, the book of James is out. Quote, and I quote, We should throw out the epistle of James out of this, we should throw off the epistle of James out of this school, for it doesn't amount to much. It contains not a syllable about Christ. Not once does it mention Christ except at the beginning. I maintain that some Jew wrote it who probably heard about Christian people but never encountered any. Since he heard that Christians place great weight on faith in Christ, he thought, wait a moment. I'll oppose them and urge works alone. And this is what he did. So, are we in agreement that Martin Luther wasn't a big fan of James? So what did, what did um, Paul have to say? Okay, so we've read through this piece of Scripture, 14 to 26 in James chapter 2, and we've heard what James has said. So let's put that up against, let's have an epic old man battle, right? Okay, took me a while to find these pictures online, so I had to use them. Um, Paul on the left and James on the right. Paul's pretty pointed. Look, he even has his pointer finger out. He's making a point. What point is he saying? Justification by faith alone, right? James is on the right. I guess he made a point. His pointer finger is pointing back. I don't know. But they're crossways, aren't they? Let's look at what Paul said. Romans 3.20, the first part. So let's judge these writings and let's think about our question. Romans 3.20, first part. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Works, right? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And we would say, turkey run, amen. That's true. Romans 3.28, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Okay, we're made right with God by faith or through faith, not obeying the law. Works, no works. Galatians 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one, this is a big one, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one will ever be made right by works. And we would read that at Turkey Run and say what? Amen. Do we see this already? And what we read in James? Is the struggle there? Let's talk to James first. Okay, we read these, but we're going to bring up four of them. 
We'll go back, verse 14 of what we read. Think about this. Think about this battle. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? You mean to tell me a faith that doesn't have works possibly is not a saving faith? It's not a living faith? Do we see the struggle now? Do we see the struggle that generations ahead of us saw? I think we do. Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Paul and Martin just rolled in their grave, didn't they? (laughs) They did. Faith by itself isn't enough unless, that's a huge one, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. In other words, faith that doesn't produce good deeds is dead. It's useless. What's it, what's it good for? We at Turkey One would read this verse and go, Amen. You're getting it. Verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God? How? By his actions. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. I sense the struggle. I can see it in your eyes. I actually don't have my glasses on, so I really can't focus in on anyone's eyes. (laughs) Y'all who know me know he can't see my eyes. (laughs) Verse 24. You know, James liked to say, so you see, apparently, in in the New Living translation. James 2.24. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do. So I'm going to change that a little bit. Take a little license. We are shown to be right with God by our works, not by faith alone. Martin Luther just keeled over, didn't he? We at Turkey Run would read verse 24 and say, Amen, that's true. I have a question. This is a huge question. Do we have a contradiction? You want to come up and preach and tell me why? (laughs) Do we have a contradiction? We have a struggle. We saw it. We see it. From the early church on, generations of people like us have felt this struggle. Some went off into other religions. Some went off into different denominations because of this struggle. Right? Thank you. We don't. I tried to get the uh, exclamation points to fly in, but I'm not that good with PowerPoint, so maybe i get those guys to do it for me. So I wrote this down. This is just my thoughts. Though it may seem like Paul and James are at odds with each other, they're actually on the same side. And this is what we have to see this morning. They're fighting against two different opponents or theological viewpoints, or worldviews. Paul is fighting against legalism in the book of Romans. And that's why you have this. He's coming at it from this side. I'll give an example. It's not on there. 
Anybody here ever climbed some tall mountains in your, in your life? Okay. So in 2018, Melissa and I climbed up the Zugspitze in Germany, the highest point in, in Germany, in the Alps. And it took us three days to attack the mountain from the east slope. We hiked up through a valley. We stayed in alpine huts, German style. It was a lot of fun. We get to the top. Beautiful, right? There's a gold cross up there. Most of the mountains in Europe have crosses on them. We get to the top. We were totally, utterly <laughs> exhausted. My feet were covered in blisters. It's just, and I had all the wool and everything on, but it just, it's, it's a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, a lot of climbing. I fell down one time and my poles saved me from rolling down and cramped up and, and had to drink something just to get up and walk. Uh, probably one of the most physical challenges I've ever done. So we get to the top, the exhilaration, the view, all of that. But then it's time to get back down into Garmisch Partenkirchen. And, well, does it take three days to get back down? No, it takes 10 minutes on the tram. And I'm like, why didn't we just take the tram up? 10 minutes. So when you take the tram down, you look at the Lake Ibsi, I think it's called, and you come down, and in 10 minutes, you come from about 10,000 feet down to the bottom. And that's the north side of the mountain. Did you know that the north side of the mountain looks very different from the east side of the mountain? And then the Austrian border is right there. So if you're coming from the south or the west side of the mountain, you're coming up from Austria. But the east and the north side of the mountain, you're coming up from Germany or Bavaria. It's the same mountain, right? But from each side, it's a different vantage point. It's a different view. They're battling the same mountain they're just coming at it from different sides. And they're battling a little bit of a different foe. Does that give us a good visual of what's going on here? So Paul is fighting legalism. We're going to throw a new word at everybody today. James is fighting, and hopefully I can pronounce this, antinomianism. Anti what? <laughs> Anti means against. So we'll get into the definition here shortly. So as we look at this struggle where James and John are fighting each other, actually, oh, I hear, I'm sorry, I'm going to personify this. We're going to go into this in a moment. Paul is fighting against Larry the legalist. We're going to give legalism a name and a person as we finish this. James is fighting against Arthur the antinomist. Okay. They're actually sitting down together. There is not a battle here. Anybody remember the movie Grumpy Old Men? or you don't want to admit you saw it. I tried to use those things of two guys fighting each other, but I thought, I better not do that. <laughs> so anyway, Paul is with James. It's not Paul versus James, okay? So let's look at some definitions here. Legalism. I think we know what legalism is, but I didn't, this is not from a dictionary, this is just my writing. The belief that acceptance with and being right with God is based on doing good works of religious obedience. For example, good deeds or works save us. Does anybody here, you can show a hand, know anybody stuck in this worldview? Know anybody in your life who's ever been a legalist? Okay, yeah. We run into folks like this all the time, probably. It's not so much about faith. It's more about what do I have to do? How can I earn God's favor? What do I do? 
How much do I have to pay? Things like that. Okay? Antinomian, ooh, antinomianism, it's a Greek word. It's literally translated against law. Now, the word antinomianism or antinomianism did not come into play until the fifth, around 1525. However, James is dealing with these folks. They're just known under a different name, and we're going to look at that. In the first century church, James is dealing with these guys. But this word didn't come in until around the 15, early 1500s. It's literally translated against law. It's the belief that rejects laws and argues against moral, religious, or social norms. For example, I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. Anybody ever run into that mentality, that worldview? I'm saved, I can do what I want. I run into that quite a bit in my life. Or, my body, my choice. Now, we're not looking at that. That's a term that gets bantered around a lot today. But what it basically means is, I'm saved, it's my body. God gave me my body. I can do whatever I want with it. I can do go wherever I want, send whatever. It doesn't matter. Does this sound familiar at all? Okay, so let's look at legalism. The easiest way to look at legalism in the context of the first century church is the Judaizers. So the Judaizers, we've talked about them a lot, definitely in Sunday school. The Judaizers basically... Um, were people who came to the Lord but believed that they had to live under the law. They had to follow the Old Testament laws, but they were still Christians. And there was a whole council of Jerusalem to deal with the Judaizers, and certain instructions were given from the church to combat uh, the Judaizers. The Judaizers, as you read your New Testament, especially your epistles, anybody ever here ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Some of you, okay. Everybody ever play Whack-A-Mole? Okay, whack-a-mole. Okay, so what do you do with whack-a-mole? So you got these holes in front of you, and you got a whacker. We'll call it, I don't know what they call it, a mallet, whatever it is. And the, the head pops up, you hit him, he pops up over here, and you just keep going like this. That's the Judaizers. You whack them at this church, and then they pop up over here. And that's what we see in the writings, in the epistles, is they're always fighting these, this worldview, this theological viewpoint that is wrong, Okay. So the Judaizers tie in really well with legalism. Now, what about the antinomianism? We know these guys. Back then, they were known as Gnostics. They were known as the Manichaeans, the, Nicolait the Nicolaitans. We read about them in the book of Revelation. They, had, they were very powerful in some of the churches, um, the seven churches, their, their activities. And then I threw one out here that's probably going to get me... Uh, you know, get some comments about it. Easy believism. That's the danger in our world today. Easy believism. So what did the Gnostics believe? Well, first of all, they believe in the Manichaeans and the Nicolaitans that they had secret knowledge. Okay, so we'll put that part aside. But they believe that everything is a focus on the spirit. That fleshly matter didn't really matter as much to God. It was about your spirit so that you could actually sin in your flesh and not pay a penalty for it, not pay a price. We know that is totally false. So how does easy believism come into this? We'll look at that in just a second. So 
Antinomianism also manifests itself in the secular world, okay? And this is where it manifests itself in the secular world. Anarchism. Antinomianism means against law. Anarchism, they want to wipe out all laws. We have people who run around our streets and our cities today who put black block on, basically all black, and they have a symbol that goes like an A and it has a line going through it, and they're called Antifa and other variations of that. They want all laws done away. They don't want to have to live by anything except their own rules. So that's where you see antinomianism today in our world. Anarchism has been around a very, very long time. Application of beliefs. So let's talk about these guys. Larry the legalist. Larry believes that he is right before God based on his good deeds and obeying scripture as best as possible. We know today that Larry will never please God by trying to just obey the scriptures without a faith in Christ. We know that. He doesn't have a personal born-again relationship with Christ and doesn't believe he needs one. He believes he's saved by his works alone. Okay? That's Larry the legalist. We write a little more about Arthur. Arthur the antinomianist, he believes he's right before God based on his faith alone. He doesn't have to worry about his lifestyle or his works. He can sin all he wants to because, hey, I accepted Christ. He thinks good works have no place in the Christian life, and he is justified by faith alone and need not worry about practical obedience. He has his fire insurance. Yeah, we've heard that before. He said the sinner's prayer, or let's say it this way. He repeated something that some guy said in the pulpit. Do we know anybody like this? He said the sinner's prayer, but then he, when he left church or left the camp meeting or whatever it was, when he left, he went right ahead and continued his life on his own terms. He does not want to be held accountable to what this says. He has his fire insurance. So we have two questions. Now that we've read this section in, in the book of James, who is he writing to? Which one of these gentlemen is James writing to? Okay. So is it Larry or is it Arthur? Now the book of Romans clearly is written to Larry. And book of James is clearly written to Arthur. So what we're going to do, so with author in mind, we're going to read through this text again, and I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to read it with this thought process in mind of Paul coming at it from this angle, James coming at it from this angle, and that this book is written to Arthur the Antinomianist. Just listen and let this sink in. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. 
But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that uh, there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Is there a struggle? Is the struggle gone? Now we understand where it's coming from. Who is the impact? Who is the intended audience? There is no struggle. Believe me, this this passage of scripture has been so confused for generations. Hence, a splintered church. I'm going to focus on one verse. We'll do a couple things and wrap it up. Yeah, we're getting close. I don't smell it yet, so we're all good. Living faith versus dead faith. So we're just going to look at verse 14. Okay, I got it up there. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I'm going to ask that question. Blurt it out. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Can it? No. James is speaking about two different faiths. Hopefully you've heard this before. One living and one dead. Living faith produces good works of obedience. However, dead faith does not produce any good works. It can be argued that dead faith is not real faith. It's merely mental or intellectual assent or just a byproduct of easy believism and not rooted in real living faith. So I put something from last Wednesday night, Mark 4. So we studied um, Mark 4 and the parables, and the parable of the farmer scattering seed. We looked at that, and we saw the different soils, and the seed was scattered, and these two soils, rocky and thorny. Think about that and think about dead faith compared to living faith. Living faith is the last soil, and it was good and fertile soil. And there was an abundance of 30, 60, or 100 more than what was put in. So what's clear in verse 14, James is saying that a faith without corresponding good works of obedience cannot save. I'll ask this question. We looked at Larry the Legalist and Arthur the Antinomist. 
It's a hard message for somebody. This is a very hard message. Well, it's a very hard message for Martin Luther, as we saw. Okay? But it's a very hard message in our 2023, in our time today. For the Arthurs out there, it is a very hard message. It's a message they don't want to hear. It's a message that they would assume it wasn't even in the Bible. Maybe my, I'm not trying to bash on Martin Luther. He, he was a great man. He did a lot of great things. Not everyone is perfect, though. We know that. This is a very hard message for those who are, I'm going to use this term, get my neck put out a little far on this, for people who are victims of easy believism. This is a very hard message. Hey, I have my fire insurance. I can do what I want to do. I have met a ton of people in my life like that. I would assume some of you have also done that as well. What we've learned this morning is that living faith must, underlined, highlighted, capitalized, bold, whatever, must be followed by good works of obedience. So I'm going to read to you out of the ESV, verse 26. A little different vantage point on it. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. For as the body, imagine that, our physical bodies apart from our spirit is dead. So also, in like manner, right? Faith apart from works, not like this, faith apart from works is dead. Not an easy message to hear. Conclusion. We're going to do some quotes, and I apologize to, there won't be quotes of anybody who's spoken here in the past. Okay, I didn't have time to go dig it around for this. Wayne, you smiled. He was like, oh no, not again. Hopefully everybody can see that. We aren't saved by works, but we are saved for works. Does Romans and James come together a little more now? Do we see it? Okay. I don't know if anybody you know, Pastor Sam Storns from Oklahoma. Um, he's the one who gave me the Larry and the author. So, uh, and doing some studying there. Here's one. Regarding the debate about faith and works, that's what we've been talking about, right? It's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most important. So which one is most important? Is it the top one or the bottom one when we're cutting paper? You kind of need both of them, right? Scissors apart from each other don't work or they're not clean. They're cleaner when they're together. Faith and works is cleaner when it's together. Who said that? C.S. Lewis. Truly, that's a hint. This person's died a long time ago. <laughs> Truly, if faith is there, the believer cannot hold back. He breaks out into good works. I'm going to talk to him about that. He wanted to throw the book of James out of the schools, but then he just said right there, the believer cannot hold back. So what happens if faith is not there? Let's look at the other side of, of his quote. If faith is not there, the believer can hold back. Is he a believer? First place, that's only God knows that. 
he doesn't break forth into good works. Martin Luther. Faith without works is not faith at all. This is pointed. This guy who you're going to see, tremendous individual. Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. Again, Arthur the Antinomous, why is he going to obey God? He's an Antinomous. He's against rule. He's against religious or spiritual norms. Who said this? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I try to give different generations. Our last quote. For true evangelical faith is of such a nature that it cannot lie dormant. Faith cannot lie dormant. In other words, faith has to do something. It has to work, right? But manifests itself in all righteousness and works of love. It, referring to faith, it dies unto flesh and blood. It destroys all forbidden lusts and desires. It cordially seeks, serves, and fears God. I couldn't do two Martin Luther quotes without a Menno Simons quote. Sorry. This is, wouldn't be a Mennonite church if we, we didn't do that error, uh, fix that error. So, a couple minutes till we're about done here. What say you? <laughs> yes. Good answer. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. This blessed day, Lord. Father, may your people at Turkey Run here today in this congregation, in this sanctuary, and for the generations to come as we tarry for your return. Lord, may we never be a Larry or an Arthur. Lord, may we always be pliable and humble in your sight. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to always exercise our faith. As a muscle, as a bodybuilder, Lord, uh, exercises his muscles. Lord, may we in faith exercise our faith muscles, Lord, that we may grow and that we may impact those around us in our community, those uh, across our nation and across this entire world whether it's us or through others, Lord, may we reach them. Lord, may we find the Larrys and the authors and speak truth to them. May we never tell them, Lord, be warm, have food, have faith, and Lord, not use effort to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless this congregation as we prepare for potluck. Bless the food, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>